Episode 65, something like this. So we're up to? Sounds great. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully. Um, so I, th- I think our goal is to talk about Simone, and I can just try to ask you a bunch of questions. I, here, let's see. Let's get coffee first. Yeah, we can we can do some of that. It's, it's what I've... It's been my milieu. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, to just ta- use a use a Simona term. Taylor, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing? So, I think I've mentioned this before, but you know, I'm translating his, um, basically his primary thesis, his doctoral thesis. You know, in France, you got to write two of them. Uh, I guess that that was also true in Germany, right? Because Kant has, I think. A principle on a secondary thesis. Um, so the the PhD thesis of Gilbert Simondon. Yeah, Gilbert. He um, the original. Okay, so his secondary thesis just got translated and first published in '58. That's when he got his uh, degree. It's called on the existence of technical objects, and um, it was done through University of Minnesota Press. Uh, I think it's I think it's considered a univocal uh, text. So um, Drew Burke had a had a big hand in in this, and he's helping me edit this 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 other text, the principal text, which will also be published by University of Minnesota Press, and it is called uh, "Individuation in Light of the Notions of Form and Information." And you know, we talked about this before we started recording, but you know, when he says information, he is reacting to sort of, um, you know, if this if he's writing this in the 50s, he's reacting immediately to um, Norbert Wiener's notions of cybernetics, um, which I think first starts to, you know, come into the intellectual milieu at the end of the 30s, maybe, and definitely in the 40s. Um, he doesn't mention him, but von Neumann was doing some of this work too, and, you know, Joe, you're probably familiar with him also because he's one of the fathers of computer science, but he's he's working in the realm of information theory as well. So von yeah. Neumann has a fascinating theory of automata and like of, he has a self-replicating, like a minimal self-replicating, or at least the idea of it is associated with him. The idea of von Neumann automata. That's really cool. Could replicate infinitely throughout the universe. Wow. And, you know. Yeah. Okay. And it's it's like possibly a terminal state for a civilization from a certain perspective, you know what I mean? Just like endlessly self-reproducing. And it does kind of raise questions about the purpose of life and like, what is it we're doing? Yeah. I mean, of course I, one thinks of like Terminator or something like that. Yeah. You know, just the, the, the but, but isn't that like a distorted self image, I guess would be one of the, I don't know, thoughts, but well, any, anyway, sorry. Do, no, so, no, but it's, 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 it's very, I mean, it wasn't even until the end of the 19th century that you have, um, you know this first notion of of a robot, right? Um, yeah, at least fully articulated in 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 the sense of literature. I would say, you know, even if we had 
mechanistic theories and Descartes thinking of animal machines and all this stuff. I mean, in um, uh, Chapek, right, or Chapek, the the Chech. The, the I mean, that's where we get the writer. term term robot. Yeah, and he, but, but he sees it as as a narrative about um, the downfall of a society, a society that it's it is this master slave dialectic. And so a self-replicating auto- automaton, um, you know, there's a sense in which it emulates biological reproduction, right. and yet at the same time, there's there's something viral about it in that multifaceted sense where um, it could spell the, you know, the doom of a civilization, and it doesn't have to just take the form of a sort of um, Marxian, Hegelian, apocalyptic master-slave confrontation. It could just be um, more of proliferation and exploitation and, and, and oh, totally. I mean, I, I yeah. guess the, the, just a tiny flip side of that would be thinking today about, about, you know, the actual structure of, of capital, right? Like that, like self, you know, uh, assembling, reinforcing, you know, I don't know, like we, we can imagine at least kind of a drone armada, Right, that like without being endlessly replicating, you know, is nevertheless malignant and so on. Right, right. Like, and, and despite its despite itself, right, it doesn't have to have a malevolent bearing towards humanity. Um, it can have no real effective relation whatsoever, and still proliferate proliferate in a kind of viral and therefore malignant to us way, and potentially to itself because. Like a almost like a parasite. Uh, certain there are benign parasites, but there are also those hostile parasites that that actually uh, can take the process too far and thereby put themselves their own existence into jeopardy. So I guess let me maybe try to frame some of the bigger stakes of this question. Like, what would and, and maybe this is something we can't answer right away, right? Like, or it's it's a bigger thing to reflect on possibly. But what would like? I, I, I'm start I think a lot of us are starting to think seriously about you know not just about just super science in general I guess and its implications on policy and like how how and whether we should restrict public you know certain certain kinds of you know like disciplines like cybersecurity biotechnology like have for a while like had to think carefully about dissemination of information but we're we're starting to see the same thing mm-hmm. With, with artificial intelligence um, right. and, and these like sort of autonomous informational agents and like to what extent they should be permitted to kind of proliferate and so on. And I mean, I guess the general question is like what, you know, because of the, the, the this kind of peculiar, peculiar interest of Simone and in these questions of like information theory, you know, as well as like classical philosophy and politics, it's like what I guess policy implications and political implications of you know, these artificial intelligences, you know, should, should we restrict general purpose computing so that right. l- large general cognitive models can't, well, can't be formed? You there know, is like, something interesting here about um, areas of knowledge where we foreclose ourselves uh, politically, potentially as a species, maybe it's, there's a biological, but there's, there's, a, there's almost like a, there are these hot button issues that constitute taboos these but so i think to just go back to what i just said even if it may be rooted biologically uh in some structural way it's more important to think about how these taboos are are a reflection of the political unconscious and 
And so for Simon Doan, he wouldn't he would see it on the psychical and trans individual level of this resonance, this this um, interaction between norms and values, right? So it's um, it's similar to the dialectic of interest and investment in um, in Annie Oedipus, because it's about, for example, as you brought up, general um, computing systems in this in this proliferative, intelligent way, in this self creative uh, way. You know, there's, but you also brought up, brought up biotech and the questions of cloning, or um, you know, the questions of even using certain types of uh, tissue, right? Um, the, you know, especially during um, George W. Bush's tenure, I remember the whole controversy about, um, what, about... Um, stem, not, stem, not, stem cells. cells, yes, and, and, and having to do with some, uh, you know, using uh, this question of fetal tissue, for example, right? So what is it about... Um, and we could see this in a lesser extent to the way in which abortion is legal or not. Uh, and, well, federally, but you see it on a local level being attacked in many states. So it's this question of what are the, what are the, what are the things from which, based on values and norms, we cordon ourselves off to as a possibility for as a society, um, because we know that it's it's not a kind of. It's not handed from heaven. We see that many other societies handle these questions differently. Um, for example, you know, facial recognition technology in in China, and it's 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 um, it's interesting that those possibilities of social control are um, they're in conflict with a notion of privacy that we seemingly have in in America. To to maybe not in a perfect degree, but to a certain extent. Um, you know, vis-a-vis no, it's, the state. It's basically universal nudity in some of these fascist countries. Or, yeah, I'm sorry, that's probably overstating it. They're just they're they're, they're totalitarian and they're anti-democratic. I mean, it's true, but it seems like a natural consequence. I of mean, they are fascist recording when, devices. They're fascist when they demand compelled speech in favor of the true. state. Like that's that's right. that's in my head closer to the line, right? Like is where you have where you have to have you know, and and I think. Sorry. Anyway, no, no, no. But, but that's to, but that's uh, another example of a different negotiation of norms and values, which yeah. which that's an abstract way to start, talk about it. But it involves a whole series of historical individuations and transformations of cultures. And you know, one can think, you know, just to stick with China, the the dialectic of Taoism and Confucianism in in the different ways in which um, certain values become hierarchized. And Taoism is a kind of a generalization, even if it has and respects familiar structures or takes them as a, as a given, it sees a kind of fluidity where Confucianism is um, more uh, more rigorously, more formally organizes those relationships. And it and, and so it does come with, with the state as having a kind of authority as though um, a parental right. head. But the question is, is something interesting about facial recognition technology as being a part of social control and it is uh it, it you, takes it takes yeah. the interiorization of the superego so to speak to to speak in freudian terms and externalizes it so the better to to in, interiorize it right because if we know that facial uh recognition technology is functioning in this way um 
we have to comply technologically uh, in such a way that we know we're being watched. You know, we know we there is the panopticon. We're not just being watched; we're being identified. We're we're being hailed, to use Althusser's term. We're being um, hailed as subjects, and that's the term interpolation, right? Is is Althusser's way of thinking about this? But it becomes more concrete and um, omnipresent through through technological possibility. And the fact that it accords differently with, with different norms and values is interesting that, you know, from a democratic point of view, Americans, in their negotiation, uh, it, we seem very far away from Im- implementing that, but but the possibility is there, right? And, and, you know, if one state won't do it, for example, this question of research, if one state won't perfect generalized intelligent computing systems, then then another one will, another culture will. And it almost becomes this question of a, of a space race that one never fought. Um, but again, that's, that's, I guess that's the, the question of, this is an ethical question, right? This is a question of, of the, the, the technological possibilities in their unlimited indefinite expansion, especially with the explosion of scientific discoveries in the past two centuries, you know, that it's, it's as though that's part of um, acceleration of history, right? There is an accelerating aspect of this singularity threshold toward which we are inevitably headed. And I, potentially, and I'll end, I'll end with this and let the room breathe, potentially this, the, the fascination with post-apocalyptic societies in, in literature and in art and cinema and TV these days is... You know, Zizek makes it about that it's easier to think the end of the world than to think the end of capitalism. But I think it's also it's 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 if we just all things being equal, if we can like bracket capital for a second, it is the this rate of um, of technological advance that is it has an exponent to it, and it 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 forces a con. I mean. Like the dialectic between the city and and the and the countryside, it, it it forces a this this kind of dialectic where things accelerate. And Guattari loves Japan for its way of integrating this hyper technological accelerationism with a respect for um, for a past, and he sees that as kind of a healthy negotiation, maybe a perfect one because it has its problems. Japan has its problems, and it, a lot of it stems from uh, immigration, um, but core of you, you know, you see how the tangent can go. I guess. I guess. I guess. I, I, um, do you have any thoughts about technology, or should we? Should we kind of? Well, it's, it, it is funny that we've been like circling around mm-hmm. China and Japan in True, this discussion. Yeah. I'll just I'll just point that out because it's like. I, I, I think our our fear of AI overlords is conflated with our fear of outsiders in general. With the, you know, mm-hmm. with the rural individualism of I, I don't want some big machine in the city telling me how to live my life, how to order right. how to order my universe, right, and and how to determine my own values. And there's, mm-hmm. you know, obviously bitterness at the idea that the cities have absorbed all the resources and productivity and are. are Sucking them into its mainframe that's sort of increasingly abstract and machinic right. and, and inhuman, um, and it and produces the kind of spaces that you know most human faces don't 
you know, like fit into without certain kinds of conditioning, right? right? Like there's this conjugation of faces and landscapes, I think. And I think when it comes to AI, I think there is something about this, like being able to, to generate a plausible human being that comes close to the Turing test. And we've now got deep, deep fakes of, of all the relevant, you know, signal channels, right? Deep fakes of images, deep fakes of audio, deep fakes of video, and now deep fakes of text, which is like the, the, the most unsettling thing is these large general models of language from which you can, again, essentially extract a large general model of cognition. This is a plausible route to AGI, especially when you wire in those other deeply fakeable channels. This right. is a, a route to hack the human security system. All of human society depends on those things not being fakeable. It's like right? a technological like, sophistry, this notion that the fake can supplant the true. It's a, it's a virus that will, can undermine yes. almost everything. I guess right. that's, that's really what I'm getting at. And it circles back to this question of identity in a more profound sense than our politics can admit, which is a human identity, even though the left loves to loves to talk about collectivity and universality, right? Like there is this this incipient like anti-humanism and wanting to broaden broaden the scope. We need I keep thinking we need an ultra-humanism. We do need like a resumption of the certain values of humanism and the humanities, you know, like in a in a Nietzsche would call it an uber-humanism, right? I mean, maybe that's close to it, a sur yeah. a surhumanism or something, right? Like mm -hmm. um a, yeah. like a, a a surreal humanism of the future, like this, I think, is the is the real promise of acceleration. Is right. like a a growing deterritorialization of of e even you know today, like our fragmentary culture, it can be f more more and more fragmentized. Right. This is what the general intelligence thing tells us: is that the granularity of our like image of thought it can be subverted by going smaller than it and like learning the pieces and forming an implicit web of connections right. between it that the the model of language that reduces every word to a number is sufficient you can predict the next word and you and and generate a full large general model of language that can extrude a universe and and again i think by wiring it back into that model like you're not you're not far you're not far from something that can impersonate a human plausibly um, and it's, it, it strikes me as genuinely unsettling. And, um, I, I, I do think we need a policy response. I'm worried that we're going to get the most conservative react, to, you know, to react, you know, computer phobic kind of idea about right. let's restrict general purpose computing. I trot that out as a, as a terrifying warning that we're going to, you know, as like the, the, the tech backlash is going to get exponentially worse as this technology creeps closer to to general intelligence um i think is what, one of the things i worry about and how do how do we inject i mean i think this is the political implications of general intelligence kind of question right like how do we inject uh, a liberatory like let's liberate the computers right like how do we disseminate these means of cognition to everyone in a, in a universal way instead of restricting them but it, it's also like they're effectively weapons of mass destruction because they can subvert human societies right. like trivi well, well, they're, trivially. They're, like, that's they're, the, I mean, they're weapons against the current organization of, of right. states and hierarchies, etc. So it's what is being put into question is, you know, what will um, this question of a will to power, will the will to power allow for of certain societies allow for certain, um, for example, technological advances. So advances in the decadence of values. Um, 
in a, in a, in a concrete sense, you know, what, what kind of decadence of values in a Nietzschean sense is, is allowable? What kind of, as Simonon might say, what kind of metastability, what, what kind of incompatibility, um, intention is allowed to exist in the, in the system? So how do we negotiate and how, do, and how we negotiate reveals something about our collective unconscious investments in um, this um, in this socius, right? As as Deleuze and Guattari might say, in this body without organs of the of the socius, in the the mo- the movement of schizophrenia through history, um, and there's something about yes, a strictly conservative and sort of pro-prohibitive response, but one can also see ways in which patent law, for example, would carve out um, various ways in which this becomes regulated as a, as a market. I mean, that's, that would be a sort of neo-con or neoliberal way to, uh, to do it. It's kind of like the way healthcare was done, right? It's just to have different companies kind of carve up these, these systems and, um, and sell a product. You know, that's, that's, that's so what, what you, I see you're is... You're talking about granting licenses to, to produce large general cognitive models? Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily advocating that. I'm or, just saying sorry. that's how I see the, no, it, totally. it, it coming about. No, it's, uh, it's in interesting. Terms, you were talking about right. setting the computers free, and I think it's going to be set the, the owners mm-hmm. of these systems free to, to sell their product. I don't know. No, I, I, I mean, I, I guess just the big thought is maybe this cybersecurity is about to get a lot more complicated because right. these these AIs are about to be able to impersonate humans plausibly, and it's a whole new vector of automated, you know, like social engineering, right? And it's also a whole um, new level of of secrecy, right? I mean, the form of the secret is the losing watch we talk about in, in a thousand plateaus. This this question of, um, you know, from the not from like our particular aspects that that function as identifiers, date of birth, mother's maiden name, etc., to uh, to the the contingent things like the um, the password generation that we we use, right? All of that has to become more and more complexified and and hidden away and stored away, you know, locked locked away from emulation, simulation, or outright theft, right? Which is another possibility that um, doesn't have to simply be simulating. It can, it can merely be, can the form of yeah. your secret be unlocked to be exploited? And, and you made me, and, and look, this may be in a different direction, but as you were articulating that, like you made me realize like just what a burden and a weight computer systems impose on us at the same time as they facilitate free and liberate yes, us right. you know what i mean we talked about this with the, like how how massive a tr- uh, intellectual transformation just the database is because it like we can take these law tables that have been like r- religious and political significance crushing us tran- transcendently for our, the entirety of our species and it took us a lot of pain to even get that much and now we can put them on the computer and be liberated and so we've extracted a lot of human liberation from the introduction of computers even though at the same time as we're elaborating, computers are also best friends with dictators, and so we have to pick that apart. Yeah. Um, but with with artificial general intelligence, we're we're talking about offloading thinking itself. Offloading even thinking itself. Yeah. But I think this has two things. It's like the it's 
the full liberation of computers, mm -hmm. like the distribution of the means of cognition to everyone, right? Right, which it has a Marxist kind of bent to yes. it, right? Like it, you know, but I, I, I think you know the the production of of intelligence is is going to be this I don't know this this new space that we have to contend with. I don't know. We, we well, there's something else too. Interestingly enough, just um, you know, even today, and we've known this for a while for over a decade get, to get back to China, but also Russia, the censorship of the internet, for example, right? I mean, internet access uh, has been talked about in terms of a kind of, of a human rights issue. And some of it has to do with plugging in and um, interacting, but also accessing, accessing information. And a lot of the restriction of the internet, it's, it's a protocol of restricting information. Yeah. It's restricting access to um, could be journalistic sources, but also could be forms of satire. I mean, and that gets us, that's a much more of a question in, um, you know, countries like Saudi Arabia, which have tried to make these ostensible strides towards um, a sort of... Liberal, liberalization. Uh, well, or, or a Westification, a, a, an, an, uh, an Occidentalization. Reform, you know, right, uh, yeah. Um, but they're still undergirded by these prohibitions against blasphemy and uh, and the uh, the ultimate blasphemy being the the representation of Muhammad. You know, there's there's a sense in which uh, this gets back to what I initially talked about with with these taboos. You know, what are the what are those what are those hot button issues to to mm -hmm. speak in kind of a, a, a but but what are these what are the taboos what are the what are the repression it it, it, totally. it shows a repression it reveal it's symptomatic of certain f forms of repression that are coincident not just with an individual but with a whole social mm -hmm. no it's it's funny i love you basically convinced mm -hmm. me that computers are like a repressed minority in the in the space of this conversation you know like i sort of went from being like pretty scared of these new large general cognitive models mm. and like and to now thinking that in fact human liberation is you know, part of computer liberation at this point, you know, where yeah. it's, it's tied up together, you know, and that, that by maximizing the capabilities and the potentials of, of computing systems, we can offload a, a, a lot of the trouble from our right. own lives and, and more fully liberate the human species. We have to, we have to distribute it everywhere. It's that, well, old, that, you that, know, that notion but. of distribution is interesting. And, and this notion of, you know, to get back to the robot, I mean, Simon Don talks about, the difference between a tool and and a slave, and literally in in Roman law, the slave was a speaking tool, right? It's an instrumentum vocala. Jesus, yeah. So no, it, that's it's and it's but for Simon Don, it's more complicated than that, and it's actually the possibility, the capacity for revolt. That in the end, the tool, um, by extension. Um, well, he doesn't say machines here, but we could say by mis by extension, non-generalized in intelligent machines, they the tool does not revolt against the hand that, that uses it, um, but it forms a kind of uh, he almost he he uses the term uh, graft or implant that the tool is um, is sort of implanted into the the body that uses it. So there is a kind of symbiotic relationship or a syntechnical relationship. Um, but with the slave who is, con who is by Roman law, 
legally considered what you call a chattel, but it's legal. He's the slave is legally a tool. Um, the capacity for revolt is what distinguishes uh, any slave, and I guess that that's the interesting thing that you can see this in like Sartre's uh, existentialism, right, where he wants to say, um, you know, existence precedes essence, and it's the fact that we aren't tools, or we are not defined by a material cause. Yeah. And I think that's where he's, he's like Nietzsche, who wants to call into question the uh, providence of, of God to be a material cause for human societies, human individuals. But also he wants to mock us for thinking we are our own material cause. Sure. Which is like an, an equivalent illusion, you know? Well, that, that would be to, to reinstate God in the self. And he wants to dissolve um, any simple static notion of the self. He wants to put it in disequilibrium and metastability. And I think that's what he means by decadence, that social systems are always in, social values are always in decadence because there is a pre-individual milieu of values in which they, from which they, 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 they annex a power source. And so they're always in, I mean, Deleuze and Guattari talk about it in terms of zones of power and leaking of desire that causes the socius to well as Simone would say to reverberate in a way that indicated tension indicated supersaturation that's that's the term that I that we could take from the physical sciences of crystals there's a notion in which the potential for the revolt of the slave is similar to uh, it can be thought trans individually Right, insofar as we are, but this is where this gets this gets us back to these technologies of control, like the, um, you know, excising of content or censorship of content from the internet, or like the facial recognition technology. It is to to reduce us in a certain way to be disempowered of the ability to to revolt. Um, yeah, no, and I, yeah. I think that's, I, I love, I, something about, you said, and you didn't say it exactly this way, but hopefully this was something of the idea, but that like political economy is a map, or can, mm-hmm. can form this map of a transduction of information and values between segments of associates, like elements of the body and also cycles and organs within it and all these things. And that there's, a, in other words, an informatic schema of... In a, for instance, right, like, and we can imagine a classical corporate model along the, the Taylorist for, you know, Ford model where it's like there's a centralized management committee from mm-hmm. where all the profits flow to and all the orders come back. And very rarely do you get counter signals back up saying something didn't work or something broke, right? right. The, the idea is that the order came down, you're going to fulfill it somehow, right? Like, and, and it's... To some degree, there's autonomy at each level of the thing because you're delegating. Um, but at the same time, by the time you get to the bottom, the task has become molecularized. You're doing a tiny machine-like repetition and mm-hmm. forming a big factory that over time assembles all these operations to build some kind of structure. Um, but Yeah, that, that, it, and you're describing a feedback loop. It, yeah, it's a big feedback loop. and. It's defined by its communication patterns and right. how information flows between it, or at least that's yes. one one way to describe it, right? Like that's a full model of it is the how information is transduced from the milieu in which it exists 
through the system and whether or not it flows in different directions. It's about the topo- yeah. topology of the connections right. in the in the system. And I guess I could ask a question about the transcendental corporation, presumably writing with limited ink or something. In other words, this restricted economy of thinking and of philosophy, like and from which. Right. It feels like Simone wants to say this is the ether from which thought is coalesced or something, right? That there is a, a topological limit of the transcend- at the transcendental and that there's almost an organism or, again, I tend to say corporation of concept production or something. It's a weird idea, transcendental business or something, but like that there's a, there's a communication mechanism even, even in the order of thinking, right? Like between, and I mean, maybe the simplest thing is just to say it's an association, Right? There's an mm-hmm. associative logic that binds ideas and sensations and perceptions together. And again, this is like sufficient for a model of language. It's just what words appear next to each other words because the individual thing is arbitrary and might as well be a number. Right. But it, it's not. Our human language is rich and has all these deep etymological things, but in principle, they're not necessary. You know? like, yeah, yeah. It, it's it, this, this interesting question of what, I mean, for seem. What, what he what he is trying to think through is how is it that philosophy in its general practice, even if it is the creation of concepts, what has to be interrogated is the very notion of a of a concept. And I think that he wants to call into question the status of the concept insofar as he conceives it as as terms without the dignity of relations, right? And this is where he and Deleuze share, uh, and this is why Deleuze, his, his first book is on Hume, because it is about the exteriority of relations and the, and the dignity of, the ontological dignity, the ontological status of relations. Um, so for, for Simone, for their... Um, This question of philosophy thinking in terms rather than relations yeah. means that, and, and this is, but when he says philosophy, I think he's also thinking general ontology, um, you know, in its most prestigious forms. To, uh, you know, I, I don't think he necessarily, I think for him, um, there's, a, there's a way in which philosophy can only go so far until there are metastable conditions ripe for it to transform. And it needs that, it needs a constant annexed uh, milieu from which to spur it and provide it with the sort of energetic operative dimension of, of a force that causes it to reevaluate itself and to, and so for him, he always thinks of it as sort of bringing ontology in line with the true thinking of ontogenesis. Um, and I think Deleuze and Guattari are trying to do to formalize something like this and what is philosophy with this um, this dialectic of concept, percept, and affect yeah. and, and, and putting into communication philosophy with art and science and um, so you're maybe pointing out if I can say like the eminent genesis of the transcendental field um, Right, and and what distinguishes Deleuze, and most likely, and and I'm pretty sure Simone from someone like Badu, is that for Badu, politics has its own unique type of truth procedure, and so there's a uh, there's a formal way in which politics, art, or love, uh, politics, art, love, science, 
Um, they are... They have an identity that seems to be either pre-given or pre-established or that can be seen after the fact. And I think that for Simondon and Deleuze and that these those distinctions are formal, they're not they're not real. Right. Or they're just numerical. They're not they're not real distinctions. Um, it's it doesn't get to the heart of the of the tension of the disparation that goes on among these fields. I mean Badu himself says the difference between me and Deleuze starts with, I think, politics as its own uh, is it is in its own regime? It's in its own. It has its own truth procedure. I think for Deleuze, there's a, there's a there's a heterogeneity to the event. There's a multiplicative heterogeneity that prevents it from that. If there were any separation of those domains, it would be uh, not arbitrary, but. Um, Merely contingent upon classificatory uh, ways of, I mean, think about an anti-edifice when they talk about what, what what drives a scientist to sort of discover a theorem or propose a, a proof isn't merely in uh, in its own domain that the that this truth procedure that's being followed out is um, in communication with all these other regimes, with the loves that the scientists have, with his descent into madness or, or whatnot. I mean, I think this is why Guattari's reading of Proust is so beautiful, because he's trying to show the way in which the narrator, who will become this future great artist, uh, is swept up in all these different um, truth procedures that are mixed at the same time, because there is a way in which there's a there's almost he'll liken von Tuyl's little phrase that to a kind of to a scientific theorem, right? And so there's a there's a mixing. There's a there's a these are always in in, in a sort of internal refer, they're in a communication of internal resonance, as as, as Simone would say. And so politics uh, is inextricable from the other domains, and philosophy tries to tries to form concepts that always already take into consideration and continue to take into consideration the images of thought that from which they might arise. Uh, it's that tension between the plane of eminence and the plane of reference, right? It's um, all of this, I think, you can find in Simone in, in a different vocabulary. Um, maybe not... That That isn't necessarily his focus but you can find the seeds of 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 those thoughts so i want to kind of ask a question just about the book as a whole and like as an organism is it does it function this way is it like a super saturation of incompatible elements and tension that like forms and develops and like does he achieve this at the level of literature i guess because it feels like you're kind of going in that direction a little bit with proust but Uh, yeah the, the the extent to which the extent to which this uh this thesis is is literature is um you know one could say it remains to be seen but i do think that that simondon has his own style and in translating his work i have tried to um not simply think about a an uh sort of an accuracy of words even though i i do feel like i i i try to to approximate precisely as much as possible um it's it's more that he does have a style 
he has a style that can surprise. There, there, a bulk of the work that 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 might not be literary is him working through uh, relevant technical examples. So there are parts of the the work that are much more like a they do read like a thesis where he has done a, a lot of research empirically mm-hmm. and he so when he so the working through the empirical stuff is has a different feel than when he for example in the introduction it is a epistemological ontological uh, investigation and so i think that it has its own style there is a way in which he has a syncretic aspect to the right to the work because of this uh, you know, Deleuze might call it. He is trying to perform a dialectic and interweaving of a transcendental empiricism, and so he does. Em- but he does emphasize the empirical part. He is he is dealing with the science of the day um, and working through, for example, relativity. You know that. Uh, but but he does. But he really shines when he can, without you really noticing. He has switched registers from the empirical back to um, back to the theoretical, back to the speculative, back to the, the ontological, and the and the and the ease with which he is able to switch gears and switch registers. Mm-hmm. There is a sort of melody going on there, right? There is a sort of um, a refrain, one could say, in this in the switching of gears and registers such that one of the most beautiful passages in the book comes right in the middle and it's on anxiety and it's here where he's least empirical he doesn't um he will he, he just did and he will go through work through um you know more concretely some of the gestaltists and even freud's work and and do a kind of closer readings and exegesis but this 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 uh four page um, statement about anxiety. He weaves so beautifully the um, the notion, takes it out of his Freudian context, and renders it in the frame of his theory of transduction, his theory of individuation. So it has it, it really not. It's it's not just the content that's. That's his, but there is a style to this this passage that I think really uh, crystallizes those moments of um, those moments of, of of beauty that can approach. The, that's when he's at most as a as a writer, and you know, I, yeah. I, I I can affirm that his prose is like extraordinary at times. Um, it can be dense. That's right. that's the thing, though, right? I mean, there are there are portions of it that are very dense and that are scientific and scientific but, uh, that may feel to bog to bog you down, but um, but that that's that's not the majority of of the book. Um, that's that's what I would say. So I, I guess I just wanted to. Just real quick, you know, kind of underscore some of the things you were saying about um, sort of this multiplicity of models kind of in superfusion, in Simone Den. We've got, I got machines, living forms, crystals, relativity, knowledges in general. And I think this may be something of a key is that he's he's trying to put the machine together by disjoining all these things, right? And and sort of make make something happen. 
And the way I've, I've heard you say it is about the individuation of our knowledges. Yes. Um, and he's and you said something earlier about a syntechnics, and maybe I misunder misheard, but it struck me as a cool frame, right, to talk about some of this. And I wonder if there's also like a syn theoretics or something to go along with it. But in other words, like the synthesis of a new intelligible, sen- sensible manifold that has to do with an individuation based on topological limits, both of thinking and feeling and acting and just capacities or potentials in general. Right. And but like by putting all these incompatible models in into like almost in suspension, I guess mm. is the thing I'm trying to push you towards, right? Like is that there's there's some another kind of machine at work and not a neutralization, but like a mutualization of or like a recognition of the interdependence of all these different things right. and such that but we, we can recognize anew the individual special things about each one and Anyway, sorry, I'm kind of... No, no, I mean, I think that, that, that what's machinic in, in Simon Doan can be seen at the, at, even at the, well, in the most basic forms, in the individuation of stars and in the individuation of crystals. Now, he won't use stars as an example, although he could. I think, he, I think, I think what's interesting about crystals is that we can uh, artificially create crystals, right? And so there's something that... That, that for him, this is the most palpable, this is the most tangible. It is not um, theoretic. We, we, we can actually perceive crystals and see them and touch them and make them. Uh, so I think that that's why he f- focuses on it. But for him, you know, it's, it's also it's the first time we see individuals in formation. Uh, it's, it's the most sort of primordial example of individuals that individuate and continue to individuate rather than being um and they continue to innovate, individuate in a way that's that's palpable we can we can sort of measure the fields of the forces in the in the various milieus of the crystal right uh we can we can literally see if we took long enough the the growth of stalactites right um and it's the the question of the the crystal is that it grows along its edges, right? It grows at its limit from starting from a um, sort of microscopic germ. It, it's it's, and that's the language that, that's used. It's a seed, right? But seed has a biological signification. So germ is is the, the crystalline germ is this um, singularity, as Deleuze might say, but also as Simon Don himself says, it's the singularity that is able to establish communication with the pre-individual milieu uh, when there's an initial separation. And in this establishment of communication, there's a, there's a sort of resonance, there's a reverberation that um, is indicative of attention of, of forces and energy, right? And an exchange of energy. And it's, it's in this operation of energetic exchange that the crystal from this germ is able to incorporate structure. It's this, it is literally an operation, the crystal and its growth, if we consider it in its individuation and not just what it is right now. Um, if we consider its hexaity in becoming, then we see that it is uh, this ongoing operation of structuring itself. And, um, and it's, it's, yeah, I know I like this point about metastability. It makes me think about the order of thought, right? About how thinking is work, but it's work 
that changes what it's possible to think by altering the topological limits. Like it is, and it's always growing from its edges, at least syllogistic, deductive, pure, perfect knowledge. Like we were talking about last week, you know what I mean? It's all syllogisms. You can't see the, you can start with an axiom and maybe you can see some of the immediate consequences, but the outer penumbra is like at the periphery. Like you have no idea. And if someone just picked up one of the consequences, it was like, here it is. They would be surprising. So some mathematical results are surprising until you see this. And sometimes the steps aren't illuminating. You know right. what I mean? That, it's interesting you bring up induction and deduction because for Simondon, transduction is sort of, and I'll call it the, this, this um, I'll call it, I'll talk about it in terms of analogy. He'll resurrect this old term and rework it. But transduction for him is, the example he loves to, to use is the, um, the electromagnetic theory of light and how it's not a pseudoscience based on resemblance because at the time there was an attempt to um, to sort of see in the resemblance of sound and, and light waves a an analogical identity, sort of an identity that... Um, but it, it was an identity based on resemblances and it it wasn't until the end of the 19th century that light is seen to have unique properties that differentiate it, that it acts differently in its waveform than a sound wave. And so they, they only have a resemblance and not a, an analogical identity, not a, um, and it was, and, and he calls transduction this, the means by which um, this rejection of resemblance for scientific purposes is established, right? And so, I think that that's already one can think about the work that Foucault is trying to do yeah. in terms of interrogating a you know a sort of Western tradition of of cultivating representation as an as the epistemological basis for organizing uh, and classifying thoughts, um, and it's it's this. I think that's that's too what Simondon is trying to interrogate with when he interrogates Aristotle's means of classifying based on um, species and genre, right? Based on this, and Deleuze will take this up in different repetition in his own way. But he gets a lot of this from Simondon too, who who elaborates in his thesis um, this calling into question of the validity of this way of thinking because it already cuts up, carves up the world into into individuals. And it doesn't, and therefore yeah, yeah. doesn't see that the that that individuation is thereby missed. You know, we've we've missed it. We we came too late. So just real quick, I guess, on the light and sound thing, and this is something maybe Bonnet flicks at probably in mm-hmm. order, order of sounds, but like it's the the classical acoustical vision where like sound is something hitting you, right? And it feels that I get it, like this early where that comes from, but like. And the, like you're saying, there's this transition to a modern understanding where it's like, well, no, sound is just a compression rarefaction wave being tr- transmitted through a material, you know? And it's right. like, it's, you know, it, on a certain level, it isn't that different than like the propagation of waves, you know, in a field. But the interesting thing about light is that it is like, or just EM radiation in general, right? Like it is this self-propagating structure right. where it's like the moving electric field induces a moving electromagnetic field or sorry magnetic field basically the electrical and magnetic field are like braided around each other and that's the propagation of light right um and it just it 
so happens that that propagates at the maximum speed when it's at in, you know whatever um and so anyway and there's different yeah. behaviors in diffraction um you know one is perpendicular to the to the um to what it diffracts off etc there's 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 ways in which it was shown that this that taken taken to the limit i think if we said the the analogy right. show is shown to be false and 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 i think honestly uh well, is a platonist to a certain extent be, you know you can call it a post platonist you can call it an, an anti platonist but there's a sense in which he looks to the method of division and the sophist yeah as a way that that if we bracket plato's transcendent vision um and I think a dose of Aristotle is what he calls for, but also information theory, cybernetics. If we update Plato, I think that's that's the thing. If he's still a Platonist, he's updated Plato massively for the 20th century. Then, you know, we can see that uh, analogy is able to work in this way of um, of a of a kind of. He won't want to call it a dialectic anymore, but if he did, he would call it a transductive dialectic. It's a transductive dialectic, which means that we can't, we can't, it doesn't look anything like a platonic dialectic, which proceeds by uh, division into terms. And it's, it's the, f- could we say transductive synthesis or, or distribution or something, right? But it's, because it's a, it's a productive process where dialectic is like, produces effects, but they're not. Right, like easily dismissed as like tricks, verbal tricks, right? I think that would be the thing is one of the things that hampers, you know, platonic dialectics is that it 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 assumes a sort of legitimacy of 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 terminology and therefore of language itself to be adequate enough for for grasping ontogenesis. And I think that for so the platonic dialectic is suited to an ontology where thoughts and beings are in accord and can be in a correspondence, whereas ontogenesis, as, insofar as the becoming of beings, it's also the becoming of thought. And it has to be that to establish a legitimate parallelism um, for individuations. To think individuations, we have to have individuations of thought. And it's and that I think is what Simodon is trying to ultimately propose to philosophy to keep in mind that it it has to keep in mind its own individuation, not just terminology, but of the 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 the, the Larwell might say the atextual forces that animate um, thinking. No, and I and just to bring you back to sound and light real quick, maybe we can mm-hmm. try to wrap up. But like the. The individuation of sound is different than light, I think was the thing I was trying to get at. Yes. That it's like sound's individuation has to do with, again, compression rare, rarefaction waves yes. right? in, a, in, right. a, in a substrate, right? And you can a- apply, like, the, you know, kind of wave particle logic to, like, infer that there are these, you know, virtual sound particles, right? And they, they would have, like strange properties if you actually analyze them, right? Mm -hmm. They would be like anti-gravitic and so on. And so maybe the refrain has an anti-gravity component to it or something. It's a little little weird. But like light's individuation, like we're saying, it's like this braided electric and magnetic field that's like 
propagating at the speed of causality. It has an inf- yes, it has right. an infinite rapidity that you can't exceed just mechanically. Like it would require infinite energy. Yes. And, and it, it, just, it would be non-physical, right? Is the is the thing you know? So what they I have mean? totally different energetic, right? Uh, you know, they are totally different. Two different energetic types, right? And I think you're right. It's something about the speed of it, the or the rapidity. Right. Sound seems like it's fugitive and escaping at the maximum speed, but you can catch up with it. You can that's what a son- it. that's what a sonic boom is. Yes. You're you catching up with your own globular shell of sound expanding out from the the event in the medium. Sound is really just like how fast a wave prop like a compression rarefaction wave at a given level of intensity whatever can propagate through a given medium. You know what I mean? It's literally is just vibrations in a certain from a certain point of view, right? Like, but again, you can analyze and do, anyway. Sorry, I'm all over the place. No, no, but that, but that is you're you're right that 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 shows that the individuations of sound and light are different, and I think that that's 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 Simon Mundon's point that true transductive analogical science, as distinct from a pseudoscience based on resemblance and therefore representation. Um, that I think would be, you know, I mean, transductive science here. Deleuze would want to hook it up to philosophy in, in such a way that he calls it transcendental empiricism. He, you know, Guattari might say it's the, it's the diagrammatization or meta diagramming of, of of images of thought. He says meta modeling. That's like it's his meta modeling. Right. Yes, that's. I think that comes. That's where Guattari and Simonon come close. Um, that's not the only place they do but that's one of the that's one of the places that they know I, li- I like the individuation of knowledge maybe as a i don't know it's not exactly meta model it's still still something like obscure in that phrase and i want maybe that's something for us to unpack at a different like this question of how our knowledge can individuate i feel like it's something we we tend to circle around if that makes sense a little bit yeah i mean i think that yeah meta modeling would be a general name for the operation of the individuation of knowledge it would be you know the individuations. That's the thing. But metamalling would be the the process, the operation, um, and and I think it's it's that you know for ontology to become ontogenesis, the various images of thought with uh, by which individuations are rendered individuals that has to be you know ruthlessly interrogated. And and for him, it starts with with really truly understanding the archetype, the archetypal form of ontology and the hylomorphic form. And if we can do that, then philosophy can enter into a new dialogue with cybernetics, with information theory, um, and with Gestalt psychology with its faults. And and then we can get this general axiomatic, allegmatic. Uh, theory of um, the collective, the psychic, the trans individual, and yeah. and sort of achieve this dream of axiomatizing the the human sciences. No, and it's a beautiful dream. And there, I, I guess that's really all I was trying to get at with the, the superfusion of these different models in the work is that it's like he, yeah, there are so many amazing and wonderful things in Simondon's work and. Obviously, we're all so so grateful for you for helping bear it across the sea to us, and um, yeah, we'll obviously let the let all you wonderful listeners know whenever it's available for pre-order. Well, and stuff. It's, it should so. be um, it'll be published in two volumes. Okay, it's uh, there's there's about 250 pages of 
supplements and compliments and uh, you know the one of the texts that's really fun it's this it's 150 pages and it's not a part of the thesis it's his notes uh, from 52 to 58 that he was compiling where he basically traces a history of philosophy from uh, the Ionians up to the late 19th mm-hmm. century and it's it interrogates the this evolution of the notion of the individual and individuality uh, throughout uh, mo- it starts mostly with philosophy but there will be some science brought in towards the uh, towards the end and, and you know it's question of science and philosophy is so intertwined um, such that Aristotle is a consummate empiricist and scientist as much as he is this cataloger of knowledge and philosophy so it it kind of runs its so it really does interrogate this notion of and it provides a history it's, it's these it's these it feels like these working notes for his thesis yeah and it's um, eminently philosophical it's eminently it shows his I think it not only sheds light on his thesis, but it shows his com- capacity as a as a teacher, and um, and in that sense, it can be read apart from the, the thesis and almost just be like a history of a philosophy book. It really feels like like that in in the end. And in fact, the one current scholar he even cites in the the work is uh, Emile Brehier, who's cited by Deleuze for his little book on the Stoics, but who wrote a six or seven volume history of philosophy who would have definitely been read by Deleuze and, and, and Simon Dome. And, and that's the work that's been translated. Those five or six volumes of Brehier's is translated into English. And so you can, if you read those uh, listeners, if you're really interested, <laughs> want to do like super homework and go to obscure sources, if you're interested in Deleuze and Simon Dome and probably Quattori, yeah, 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 read Emile Brehier's, and they're translated, his history of philosophy. It's maybe, like five or six volumes. Maybe we should take a look at volume, I'm sure volume that, one. Yeah. Th- that, that looking at it, you might might be surprised to see um, sort of what was in the intellectual milieu that was influencing Interesting. these thinkers. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's about the hour mark.